do on Christ, every thought brought to him. And then we have David's prayer is personal, immediate, and responsive. And our thoughts with God can be personal with God, immediate right now, and responsive. What is he doing right now at this moment? And we can respond to that. And then we have his prayers are laced with metaphors, his experience, and his revelation. And here's where David's prayers become very exciting. His strong use of metaphor, experience, and revelation are for us to expand our experience and revelation of God. We cannot put into words, often, what we are experiencing. So what do we do? We go to David, and he has the words to express what we're going through. When Jesus was suffering on the cross, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He went to David's words, that's Psalm 22, to express himself. So, when I study this passage of scripture, I start circling things. And the first thing I noticed is that we have a list of David's enemies. Violence, death, destruction, the grave, and snares. And we also experience these things in our life. That's why these psalms are for us. And then I noticed that David had certain emotions. He had distress. He called to God. It was an, an intense emotion, his calling to God. He experienced and felt in his emotions the waves of death, the torrents of destruction. He cried. But all of it is circled by joy. We will see that at the beginning of this passage and at the end of this passage. And in Psalm 30, David writes, Weeping may remain for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now this has always puzzled me because usually when I'm suffering, it's not over in the morning. But I like the way Eugene Peterson, the emphasis he puts on this verse in Psalm 30. The nights of crying your eyes out give way to days of laughter. So eventually, the suffering eases up. Earl Palmer, who was the pastor at University Presbyterian Church when I was worshiping there, said, suffering has a boundary, but joy is eternal. And you can quote him, <laughs> as I do. Then we have David's place. David's place is the earth, and the earth trembles and shakes. It has smoke and fire and coals and darkness and rain clouds and lightning and thunder. The seas explode, the foundations bare. These are words that indicate where he is when he prays these prayers. David's sphere is our earth. And he's going to experience the violence of a weather phenomenon. I myself like a good storm. But the way David describes this is positively filmic. And then we have another place that he talks about, God's place, his temple in heaven. From heaven, God hears, God has ears, and God has a voice. And David uses three different words for God in this psalm. The first one is a God of action, Elohim. Elohim 
He has a breath blast from his nostrils. He parts clouds. He flies. He soars. He has wings of the wind. I love the image of a very active and powerful Elohim. Elohim is eternally youthful. His power and energy is echoed by David's power and energy that we see when David is leaping over a wall. We get to experience God's power and energy in our own lives. Elohim is the subject of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. And then we have actions of the Most High, Elion. Elion, what does Elion do? Reached down, took hold, drew me, rescued me, helped me, rendered enemies harmless. Elion here is personal, in, in, uh, immediate, shepherd-like, and intimate, and is the power of God's service towards us. And then we have, of course, the actions of the Lord, capital, Yahweh, who supported, brought out, rescued, and delighted in David. Yahweh takes on the characteristics of the perfect parent. God is both father and mother in these passages, supporting, rescuing, delighting. It's a picture of his intimate, loving delight in each of us. Yahweh is involved in our human struggle. Eugene Peterson and other commentaries divide this passage, Psalm 22, in sections. The first one Eugene Peterson calls is God is bedrock under my feet. So I hope your Bibles are open to Psalm, uh, 2 Samuel 22. And so the first one is the bedrock under my feet. The metaphors David uses here illustrate his body, soul, and spirit immersion into God. And the value of a good metaphor is that it paints a picture to things that are uh, not alike and yet similar in an important way. And David shows us what it is to see God in every visible detail of his life. Now, in Interviewing Prayer, which I'm a part of in this church, we use Jesus' metaphors, and we ask Jesus to show the person who has come, well, what does this pain look like? And Jesus gives a metaphor. And sometimes that person is chained to a perpetrator or by snakes or ropes. It never fails to astonish us. The metaphors that Jesus tells them, we don't tell them, Jesus tells them personally, this is what this looks like. And then we ask Jesus, give this person something to destroy this unhealthy chain to this person. And he gives lightsabers and scissors and sometimes Jesus just wipes it away. And it is absolutely a phenomenal thing to see how Jesus, even today, works by metaphor. So uh, David uses metaphors because he's noticing God, and when he notices God, he prays. So first of all, if you're looking at verse 1, David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock. So, now we have this rock, David, running from Saul. And I picture him as he's running out into the wilderness. 
He is first by himself, remember? And he climbs up to the highest point that he can find. And he is saying, you are my rock. I can't stand unless you hold me up. And how many times many of you have said, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is what? Sinking sand. And then he's our fortress. David, hiding in caves, safe from his enemy. He is our deliverer. And we pray, when we say the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. He is our rock, where I take refuge. He is my shield. In Ephesians, we're told to take the shield of faith. Jesus is our shield of faith. We take hold of him. When we have no faith, we hold on to Jesus. Jesus Give me the faith in you. He is our shield of faith. Then it says he's the horn of my salvation. Now my husband and I watched um, ancient civilizations. And you, know, you remember the first paintings they discovered were pictures of bulls with horns. The horns have, for, for uh, as long as people have been around and drawing in caves, horns have been a symbol of strength and honor. And Hannah prayed, when she prayed in 1 Samuel, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And then, remember in Luke 1, when Zacharias is struck speechless because he doesn't believe the angel that his wife's going to have a baby. And then when she has the baby, he's told to name him John, and he says John. And then his mouth is open. And the first thing he does is he sings a song to the Lord. And he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David our David. Then we have stronghold. He is my stronghold and refuge and savior. We are saved from violent men, David says in this verse. If we take our freedom and peace for granted, we undermine the power of the Holy Spirit. Right now, in this room, the Holy Spirit is keeping this place peaceful. There are places in the world that are filled with violence and women could never gather like this. So let's not take the peaceful influence of the Holy Spirit ever for granted. So, Jesus also describes himself with metaphors. In John, he says, I am, which is Yahweh, bread of life, light of the world, the gate, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the true vine. Jesus used metaphors to describe himself so that we could understand him as he reveals the Father to us. And then, perhaps my favorite, is Jesus as bread and cup in Luke 22, after he was the betrayer left, he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And this is why I love 
this ceremony of communion and why it has become so much of an important part of my life to take it to others who can't take it. That's why June and I, for over 10 years, have been doing homebound communion, to take it to people who cannot come to church and have communion. And it has become our tradition here to have communion together the last day that we're together. So on May 22nd, two weeks from today, we're going to come we're going to have a pianist. Jerry Pryor is going to play for us. We're going to sing some hymns. Yes, yay. And, and then we're going to, um, I'm just going to close with a little, short little talk about David's death from First Kings. And then Ryan Beatty is going to come and serve as communion. And we will also have anointers. So we should be done early if your groups want to plan to go out afterwards. Probably we'll finish about quarter to 11, I think, or, or 11. Anyway. It'd be a nice day for you all to go out to Lipstick if you want to do that. So that's what we do to celebrate God's faithfulness to us as women. Then Jesus has metaphors for his friends. He says, go fish for people. He says, you are salt, you're light. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He says, you're my lambs, you're my sheep. And then... Uh, we have seen how God equipped David to be all of these things. Salt, light, branch for, for the Lord. And he understands about lambs and sheep. So, let's move on to verse 4 through 7. Um, now we're going to talk about David's enemies. In the Greek Orthodox Church, this prayer is said every day at daybreak as the sun comes up. And the reason they do that is because it's said that this is what Jesus prayed as he faced Pilate. So if you think of Jesus standing facing Pilate while I read this, I think it will give you a deeper picture of what the mind of Christ was like. Verse 4, I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. He's calling. He's in distress. He's saved from death and torrents of destruction. I love this cords of the grave and stairs of death. And I'm sure there's not a person in this room that when you suffer, you cannot help but identify with these words and this description. Then our next section is, the high God gave a great shout. Now I picture our young David alone, running from Saul. He's up on that rock, I mentioned, distraught with grief and despair, and he sees a storm coming. And he doesn't run from the storm. It washes over him. Verse 8, the earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of heaven shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals played out of it. He parted the heavens and came down, dark clouds under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him, the dark clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness
brightness of his presence, bolt of lightning blazed forth. David paints a word picture that shows us a very busy, powerful God working for us. But now, in this next section, I like to picture Jesus uh, waiting for his resurrection that first morning. Verse 14. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot arrows and scattered the enemies. Bolts of lightning routed them. Think of those soldiers that were waiting at the tomb to keep him in. The valley of the seas were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare. At the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of his breath from his nostrils, he reached down from on high and took hold of me and drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me. Why? Because he delighted in me. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the pain, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. And I see this as a foreshadow of all of the suffering that we go through. God reaching down in his power and picking you up and setting you in a pleasant, spacious place because he delights in you. Do I hear an amen? Amen. <laughs> amen. Okay. He rescued you because he delighted you. I, I could spend a whole hour on this verse alone. If there's one thing that every person in this room needs to know, it's how much God delights in you. And I want my, I want to know it for myself. I want my family to know it, my grandchildren to know it, everyone who comes to me for prayer to know it, and I want all of you to know it, that God delights in you. He sees your faith in the midst of your terrible suffering, and that identifies you with his son, Jesus Christ. We want to know him completely. All right, this next section is titled, God rewrote the text of my life. And Eugene Peterson points out that here we have a change of mood and rhythm. It becomes reflective and meditative and has a tone of mature and achieved assurance. This is not self-righteousness, which some translations, you read it, and it sounds like self-righteousness. Eugene Peterson says, between the participation in God's glorious revelation from verse 1 to 20 and the exuberant witness to salvation in 26 to the end, this section cannot be misused as a text for self-congratulating self-righteousness. There are things that we do that make a difference. Because of David's songs, we can look into his daily life, not just the gory details, that are touched on in, in these two books, but his daily life of prayer and experience. David's sin is outdone by God's grace, and David's devotion to God's ways for God's thoughts become David's thoughts. Now, sinning doesn't take 
and imagination. Uh, the same sins are repeated over and over. And I, I have a confession to make. I, I have journaled for over 20 years, and now I'm destroying them. And as I go back and I read them, and I'm ripping the pages, um, it, they're filled with petty aggravations. And the same things that bothered me then bother me now. It's just different people. <laughs> so, so, so I'm ripping them, and I'm putting them on, and my husband says, you've got to shred that. Yeah. You have to shred it. So, what? Nobody cares. Not they couldn't read the writing anyway. But so I thought, hmm, that would be fun. So I go up and I put it in the shredder. And off it goes. Nobody will ever know. So anyway, so you you had fun with that? You identify with that, yeah. So so if you have all those journals, uh, make a, make a vow with someone to destroy them. Because I have a friend whose husband died unexpectedly in his fifties. And she's reading his journals, and it's terrifying her. It's horrible. So you don't want you don't want your loved ones to read how, how you were irritated with them later. Anyway, but that's not what you do. But the same action. This is this is the fun thing about rereading your journals. The same central action in my life is this that was then is the same today. So as we spend time in God's Word and learn His way of thinking, His thoughts can become our thoughts. So. This passage that I'm going to read you now, 21 through 25, I'm going to read it from the message because I love this. And if it's anything that we do in inner healing prayer, this is it. God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. When I cleaned up my act, he gave me a fresh start. Indeed, I have kept alert to God's ways. I haven't taken God for granted. Every day I review the way he works. I try not to miss a trick. I feel put back together. And I'm watching my step. I'm not going to do it again. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. God does change us when we let him. We make better decisions. We form good habits. Attention is trained to notice what God is doing. We keep commandments and we confess sin. God rewrites the book of our lives. So let's move on now to the next section, which is called Distilled Wisdom. And this is, uh, these two or three verses here are, are kind of tucked in here. And their wisdom about God and about us to the faithful, when you're out in the world, show yourself faithful. To the blameless, show yourself blameless. To the pure, show yourself pure. But to the crooked, don't show yourself crooked. Show yourself shrewd. God saves the humble, but his eyes are on the haughty to bring low. Now the next section is titled, uh, You Armed Me Well for This Fight. Uh, 29, you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord turns darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. And now God's prayer, David's prayer, becomes a witness to show how God equips us for the battle. David's life was war. Our life is spiritual warfare, so we need to be equipped 
for this battle. For my life verses, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. So he, when he gives me something to do and makes him want to do it, I say to him, you promised that you are going to give me the energy to do it. 31. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He's a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides our Lord, and who is the rock besides our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle, and my arms can bend a bow of bronze. David is made very strong to do the Lord's will, to do the Lord's work. 36. You gave me your shield of victory. You stooped down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. Uh, some of you probably, if you hike, you think, hmm, <laughs> I should pray this prayer before I go. All right. Uh, verse 38, I pursued my enemies and crushed them. I did not turn my back till they were destroyed. I crushed them completely, and they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. Last night, we had an inner healing prayer for a young woman, and we saw this verse fulfilled. The enemy's grasp on her was destroyed, and she left completely free. And now we have verse 40. You armed me with strength for the battle. I love this verse, and because ladies, God arms us. But I wanted to share a little story about my husband. When he was 17, he graduated from high school and went straight into the Air Force for four years. He was 17-year-olds. Uh, they're troubled, right? They're, they, they don't know what they want to do in life. Anyway, so he went, and he was stationed at a base in Tucson that was having a revival by the chaplain there. And they were all influenced by the navigators. And so when my husband was there, he became a Christian. And he loves to tell his grandchildren that story of the night he believed in Christ. Aww. Oh my goodness. This is what he looked like when I met him. <laughs> yeah, he was so pretty. <laughs> and when I when we got married, I kept a line from Funny Girl kept going through my mind. The groom was prettier than the bride. <laughs> Oh. Anyway, so, so what we have here is the topical memory system put out by the navigators, 140 more verses. And he memorized them all. And the Lord is using the, these verses 53 years later. Because a few weeks ago, we, we were in the anointing for the 11 o'clock tra uh, traditional service. There were six of us there. And, and Scott Dudley gave an invitation and said, if you want Jesus in your life, pray this prayer with me. And so he prayed the prayer, and then he said, now if you prayed that prayer, tell someone. So my husband's sitting over by the prayer room, and he's saying, oh, Lord, what if someone comes to me and they pray that prayer? Ah, you got to give me a verse. Well, the verse he gave him was this one that he memorized at age 18, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. God had armed my husband for that moment. 
And that's how God can arm you. Okay, so we are armed for this fight. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight, and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. And I'm going to scoot along here because I want to finish before. Okay, verse 47. The Lord lives. My free and freeing God is towering, as what Eugene Peterson calls this passage. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, my rock, my Savior. See how this echoes what we had at the beginning of this solo? He's the one who avenges me, who puts nations under me, who sets me free uh, and moving along. Truth and the last verse, he gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David, and to his descendants forever. Unfailing kindness, hesed, this word that cannot be defined, that explains God's love towards us, his love in action, his hesed. So this hesed is in every book of the Bible. It's in everything that David wrote. And it's promised to David and his descendants forever, and it's promised to you and me. If we look at anything the Bible has written and do not see God's unfailing kindness, we become self-righteous and judgmental. But if you understand God's kindness, you cannot be either of those two things. You will be welcoming as each person. David was a soldier, and as a soldier, the work that he did was dehumanizing. But he saw God in everything, and it made him a human. What happened to Jesus was dehumanizing, less than a person. But he did it for us so that we could be completely human. We live in a culture that is dehumanizing. These kids that will come in here today have been immersed in a culture that wants to strip them of everything that God created them to be. It is dehumanizing. But to understand God's kindness is to reflect into the people that you meet their image of God and how God created them in his image. So let's close in prayer and remember how we are God's delight. We are created in his image. And Father, we thank you for your unfailing kindness to David. And may we show it to those wonderful young people that come in here today and to everyone we meet. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.